Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We're going back to Matthew. We're going to finish working our way through Matthew, so we're up to chapter 23. And so we'll, we'll read the whole chapter this morning. And uh, the title of the message is Pleasing God or Pleasing Men. And I don't have the remote, Ben. So, but the title of the message is Pleasing God or Pleasing Men. And we have one of our behind the scenes guy has to come and be in front of everybody today. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Just what he wanted to do, right? Anyway. Beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the best, love the places of honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you are one. You have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much as a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven, by the throne of God, and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you have outwardly, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you build the tomb of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our father, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you are witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. For fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of you will flog in the synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you that these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate, for I say to you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. The Bible teaches The Bible teaches all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Uh, and we're created to live for the glory of God. We're not on earth simply to live for ourselves and please ourselves. We are not on the earth to live for other people and please people. We're on this earth because God put us on the earth and we are to live our lives to know God in intimacy and live for God's glory. However, because sin has entered the world uh, and mankind has fallen and that messed everything up. Because of the fall of mankind, because every one of us are sinners, we are born with a nature that's messed up uh, and moves us not to live for the glory of God, but live for ourselves. That is why we need a Savior. We need a Savior to save us from our sin and to restore us to the original purpose of of being able to know God in intimacy and live for His glory. Now, Matthew 23, as we read it, it's one of the harshest chapters in the New Testament. And I think it deals with the question, what is the purpose of our lives and whom are we ultimately living for? Are we living for ourselves, that we might be elevated and praised and honored and applauded? Or are we living our lives so that God may be elevated Praised, honored, and applauded. In Matthew 23, Jesus points to the religious hypocrisy, which, uh, which, seems, which seems to be concerned with the glory of God, but in reality, it's only concerned with, with the glory of, of those who are living that hypocritical kind of life. It's only concerned, uh, that kind of hypocrisy is only concerned with our own glory and, uh, and about the praise and applause we can receive from others. You see, if your religion is self-centered and concerned only with what's in it for you, uh, you have the wrong religion. Now, God is concerned about you. God wants to help you in your life. But ultimately, the purpose of life is to live for the glory of God. It's to live for Him and not for yourself. And so, so if your religion is self-centered only and concerned only with what's in it for you, you got the wrong religion. You got the wrong religion. The kind of religion, that kind of religion focuses on performance, on rule keeping, and on outward appearance. 
But a God-centered religion, you will be concerned about loving and pleasing God. You will be truly loving others and serving them. And you will live in such a way that honors God and brings glory to His name. I think Matthew 23 teaches us a stark eternal reality. Don't live for the applause and praise of men, but for the glory of God. Don't live for the applause and praise of men, but for the glory and praise of God. Now, as we've gone through Matthew, we've noticed that the hostility of leadership has grown kind of, um, multi- uh, it's, it's grown uh, stronger and stronger. It's, it's grown, uh, you know, just more and more and more hostile. The religious leaders have refused to believe in Jesus. They've sought to track, trick Jesus, to trap him again and again. But everything they've tried has failed. Now Jesus begins to warn the crowds and his followers about deadly religious hypocrisy. You see, Jesus spoke his harshest words to the religious people. you realize that? His harshest words he spoke to religious people. Now that's kind of scary because maybe you consider yourself kind of a religious person. You know, we, we, we practice these things. We try, to, we try to meet and worship and read the Bible. And Jesus spoke his hardest things to religious people. So we got to make sure that we don't fall into the trap that they fell into of a religion that's self-centered and only wants to live uh, its religion so that others might applaud those who live it. Uh, so these, he warns against this religious hypocrisy, this deadly religious hypocrisy. And we're going to look at these warnings today. I know it's kind of a long chapter, but we're just going to kind of, kind of just plow through it today. First of all, he, I, there's warnings that he gives us. First of all, he says, don't live for the applause of men. Now, Jesus encouraged the crowd to practice and observe what those in authority, what these Pharisees and scribes teach them to do as they taught the truths uh, that God gave through Moses. Jesus says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Don't practice what they preach. Don't live as they live because they don't do what they tell you to do. They love to tell people what to do. But they don't do what they tell people to do. They're taskmasters. You know, it's easy even as a pastor sometimes to tell you guys to do stuff. But not help you to do that. Yeah, have you ever, have you ever had someone say to you, you need to do this in your life? And you say, yeah, I do. If I could just figure out what you're talking about and how to do it. You see, it's easy to tell people how to do it. But, but the truth is we've got to... Join with people, join them in their lives so that not only do they know what to do, but we can, we can bear their burdens and we can help them to live the way that they should live. These Pharisees were taskmasters and they were more, uh, they were concerned with religious obligations and uh, they were concerned with things that just almost made it impossible to observe. The fact what they laid on people, they didn't do themselves. They were a rule-keeping religion. And they didn't lift a finger to help people to follow the rules that they they laid out from. You see, rule-keeping religion never has an end, does it? It never has an end. Following the Pharisees and like them would keep 
people under a heavy load of false religion and, and uh, a false sense of, work, of having to work to please God. You may have come out of rule-keeping religion. You, that may have been part of your background where everything was about keeping certain rules. And I know people that have been burnt out by that rule-keeping religion. But, the, but faith in Jesus is not rule-keeping religion. It's about relation to, to Him and loving Him and loving others in His name. Jesus is a burden-bearer, not a taskmaster. Jesus gives us this invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yes, he's a burden-bearing Savior. Following Jesus, we're following him the way we should. And sometimes we can get into this rule-keeping religion. And, and we can get away from following him out of love and relationships. If we follow him as we should, it's about loving, knowing, and walking in relationship with the him. You see, Jesus never gives us anything that he will not provide the strength for us to do. Yes, he will ask us to do some hard things sometimes, but he will always be there to help us to carry those burdens and to do those things because his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Jesus then says about the scribes and the Pharisees, everything they do, they do to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries, and phylacteries were little kind of boxes that you would put on your wrist or sometimes attach to your forehead, and they contained portions of Scripture within them. Uh, and uh, and so, so they would make these phylacteries, these boxes, uh, they would make them very noticeable whether they wore them on their wrist or their forehead. They would want people to see that they, were, they, were, they had these things on their head. Uh, these fringes on, on, the, on uh, an observant uh, Jew would wear four fringes on the ends of, of his robe, of the garments that they wore back then. And they would make them long and noticeable because they wanted people to notice. They wanted people to see how religious they were, how much they supposedly loved God. They loved the places of honor at the feast and the, and the best prestigious, prestigious seats in the synagogue. All they did, they did for show to impress not God, but others. And they wanted others to think, well, these guys are really close to God. They loved people. They loved it when people called them rabbi. They, they uh, would seek these things. They want them to happen because they want people to think they are very close to God. They might even talk about how much they love God. You ever been around anybody tells you how much they love God? I always want to say, it doesn't matter how much you love God. What matters is how much He loves you and me. That's what's important. You see, you can talk, you can talk about your love for God, but all of us know we don't love God like we should. All of us fall short of loving God what we should. What's important is that God loves sinners like you and me. All they do is not to glorify God, but to elevate themselves. Now, Jesus warns his disciples against this. He says, don't seek to be called rabbi because you have one teacher. You're all brothers. Don't call anyone on earth father other than, you know, your, your, your biological father is, you know, is implied. 
for you have one Father in heaven. Don't seek to be known as an instructor because Jesus is in your instructor. What's he saying? He's saying that you and I as believers, there is no hierarchy. You see, everybody that confesses and believes in Jesus, everybody that has embraced Jesus has equal access to the Father. We can all have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And just because I'm your pastor doesn't mean I have any more access to the Father than you do. You see, we can all boldly approach the throne of grace uh, to find mercy and help in our time of need. It's for everyone. Uh, There is no hierarchy in the church. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, the old preachers used to say. Really, there's no division of clergy and laity in the scripture. Yes, there are different roles and different spiritual gifts and functions within the church, but, but it's not different levels of believers. It doesn't mean that as pastor I can be closer to God than someone who, who, uh, who might, uh, you know, uh, clean, clean the toilets in the church because they love Jesus. You see, hierarchy is not a part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. No one believer has any greater access to, to, to God than any other believer. We all have equal access to God because... Because of Jesus, because he is the one mediator. He is the one go-between. We put a premium on titles and degrees, but God does not. All of us are equal brothers and sisters in Christ. And he tells us, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be great by serving each other. Out-serve one another. Um, we're, not seek, we're not to seek to exalt ourselves and, uh, and want the praise of men, but we humble ourselves and serve others. And that's what the Lord wants from us. And so Jesus warns us against living for the applause of men. There's a second warning. Don't live outside God's kingdom and hither, hinder others from entering the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus gives these woes. There are seven uh, in the ESV uh, version of, of the Bible. There's an extra one in uh, maybe the King James or New American Standard. It, it, it comes probably from Mark. It's probably an insertion from the Gospel of Mark. But in Matthew, there are probably only seven. And anyway, uh, and so he gives these seven woes, these warnings, and, and, uh, to the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. Uh, this first warning is, is that these religious leaders are shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Jesus said they not only don't enter the kingdom of heaven themselves, but they shut the door uh, so that others cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, they teach a way of salvation that was not the way of salvation. It was a way of pride and works and not the way of forgiveness and grace and faith uh, in Jesus. It was a religion that kept people out of God's kingdom instead of helping them to enter God's kingdom. You see, even today there are a lot of religious experts, pastors, professors that don't proclaim Jesus as the way of salvation by grace through faith. They turn people away from simple faith in Jesus and trust in the Bible. They denigrate the deity of Christ. Uh, They denigrate the deity of Christ, His virgin birth. His atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his promised return. They, 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 they think all these things are non-important. They're essential. They're essential. You know, during Christmas time, um, I read a, a post on Facebook that talked about, did I already tell you guys this? I might have, but 
uh, it bothered me so much <laughs> about someone not liking the 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 popular uh, Christmas Carol new song Mary Did You Know, and and it said the theological types didn't like it. Well, that got me to thinking. I read that song. I read it. I thought about every word in that song, and I'm thinking, I don't know any theological types of that. None of the theological types that I hang around with, you know, don't like Mary, did you know? It tells who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's all about. It talks about Jesus being the great I am. That when Mary kissed the face of Jesus, she kissed the face of God. All those things are taught by the Bible. Theological types that teach that are teaching the wrong theology. They're not teaching the Jesus of the Bible. They're not teaching the Jesus that you can put your trust in and believe in and be saved. You see, a lot of people, they act like experts. They act like they know. They're professors, but they they don't teach you to trust in the Word of God. They don't teach you to believe in Jesus alone as the way of salvation. Uh... They, they teach things that undermine the scripture instead of teaching us reasons to believe the scripture. You see, a rational person, I believe, will be a Christian. Because if you know how to think and you think through the things of God and the things that Jesus does, uh, and you think through them and you process them, yes, there are some things that are hard to understand, but I believe a reasonable, rational person will believe in Jesus. Of course, the reason we don't is because there's a spiritual blockage. But the truth of God's word is truth, is truth. You see, there are false prophets that never proclaim and explain the salvation of Christ and Christ alone through faith. They try to make proselytes of themselves. They try to make people just like them who will have the same doubts and confuse people just like they do. Sometimes they teach in prestigious universities and colleges and seminaries. And sometimes they pastor big churches also. Um... Jesus said these, the, Jesus said, don't be like them. Don't be like them. And then, you see, just because a person has a PhD or, a, or in the Bible or religion, that doesn't mean they're proclaiming Jesus as the way of salvation. Just because a person is a pastor or preacher doesn't mean they're teaching or preaching the truth. Just because they're called by some religious title like reverend or bishop or pastor or priest or minister or any other title we want to give doesn't mean that they, that they can be trusted. I'm just, I'm telling you. And in fact, you don't even need to trust me completely. Now, I do my best to preach the word of God to you. But I'm telling you, you better be in the word yourself and understanding it. I, every once in a while, I would just like to say something outrageous and to see if anybody would say, Pastor, I don't think you were right there. You know, just to see. I think you guys would catch me, actually, but... Uh, but anyway, we have to put our trust in, in, in the Word of God, in the, in, in the Jesus of the Bible. And we have, to, we have to hold on to Him. And we have to, uh, to measure every word that anybody teaches or preaches by the truth of God's Word. If, if someone does not preach the truth of God the Son, becoming a man by being born of a virgin by living a sinless life, by dying in our place on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. If you don't teach that Jesus actually physically, bodily rose from the dead and ascended to heaven one day will physically return, you're misleading people. It's as simple as that. Um, If they don't teach that you and I are sinners and we need saving from our sins and that there's one Savior, Jesus, who can do that, 
you're misleading people. You see, religious leaders and religious people must be careful they don't live outside of the kingdom of God and hinder others from entering the kingdom of God. There's a third warning. Don't live denigrating truth by finding ways to deceive others. Now, this is the third woe. Jesus calls them blind guides here. And and you know what a blind guide is? It's someone that is leading you, but they don't know where they're going. You know, uh, a few years ago, we were we were at my nephew's wedding in Iowa, and uh, my this it's where my brother lives in this area, and and we were going to go to this hotel, and there was going to be, I think it was where my sisters and and we were staying. So my brother's going to drive us. Well, I had a GPS on my phone. I pulled it out, and he's, oh, you don't need that. My brother didn't like GPSs, and so I figured, well, you know, he lives in this area. He probably knows where to go. Well, about 20, 30 minutes, he didn't know where to go. He didn't know how to get me there. And so I still had to pull out my phone and get the GPS and get directions to the hotel where we were supposed to go. He was a blind guide, you know. I think he does use GPS these days, but anyway. A blind guide is someone who, who you think should lead you to the right place, but is not. And Jesus goes back to the habit of the Pharisees and the scribes, and he talks about them and how they administer oaths. Now, he mentioned this in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He said to his followers, let your yes be yes and your no be yo. And your no be no. I'm going too fast. I know it's kind of long, so I'm trying to get through anyway. Uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they made some oaths binding, and they said some oaths were not binding. And basically, it was a way for them to deceive people. See, if you, if you swore something in an oath that supposedly was not binding, you didn't have to keep your word. You didn't have to fulfill your contract. And so these religious leaders deceived others by making false oaths. They said if you swore by the temple, it was not binding. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, it was binding. If you swore by the altar, it wasn't binding. But if you swore by the offering on the altar, it was binding. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You shouldn't use oaths because we should always tell the truth, basically. We should always tell the truth. And you shouldn't try to use oaths <coughs> to deceive people. You remember when you were a little kid and you'd say, uh, I, you know, cross my heart and swear to die. And you'd hold your fingers, you know, cross your fingers behind. That's, that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. Uh, Jesus pointed out that the temple made the gold holy, the altar made the offering holy. If you swear by the temple, you swear by everything on it. If you uh, swear by the altar, you swear by everything on it. And all oaths are binding. Don't try to find ways to deceive people. It's like the small print that we sometimes find in contracts. Instead of the Pharisees and the scribes being people of the truth, they were trying to find loopholes so they didn't always have to tell the truth. Don't live denigrating truth by finding ways to deceive others. Fourth warning, don't live majoring on the minors. Now Jesus talked to the scribes and the Pharisees about focusing on the ceremonial and superficial parts of God's law instead of the important parts of God's law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. These people would be so focused on outward observance, on ceremony... Uh, on ceremony, uh, they would, that would be essential to them. That would be the focus of their, 
of their religion. On the little things. And one of them, Jesus mentioned tithing. They would be so focused on making sure they gave God exactly what they thought they should give God that they tithe on mint and dill and cumin. These were little spices that grew in their garden and they would make sure that they were properly divided out so that God got his piece of deal. Basically. Uh, But he said they, they were focused on these things, but they neglected the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, I think it's good to give generously to God's work. That's how we do what we do here. And I personally, when I began to give to the Lord's work after I became a believer, I, I, I used the tenth as kind of a starting point. And I've tried to do that my whole life and try to give more than a tenth. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But that is not, that is not the most important thing in Christian life to worry about. You can be a stickler for tithing and for weekly religious observance, and you can treat people like garbage. You can seem outwardly religious, and you can be filled with hatred, prejudices, and disdain for people who are not like you. Uh, a couple years ago, Southern Seminary did an honest report on the, on the, on the history uh, and the legacy of racism that was a part of Southern Seminary. And uh, one part of the report talks about a guy named Joseph Brown. I just want to read a little bit to you. Joseph E. Brown, the seminary's most important donor and chairman of the board of its trustees from 1880 to 1894, earned much of his fortune by the exploitation of mostly black convict lease laborers. Joseph E. Brown's coal coal mines and iron furnaces coerced the full extent of labor from Georgia convicts by employing the same brutal punishments and tortures formerly employed by slave drivers. The legal system entrapped thousands of black men, often on trumped-up charges, without any due process protections, and earned money for sheriffs and state treasuries by selling their labor. It was worse than slavery. Investigations of Brown's Dade Coal's operation concluded, if there's a hell on earth, it's the Dade Coal Mines. Brown reaped enormous profits from his coal uh, and iron business. In 1880, his gift of $50,000 to Southern Seminary basically saved the seminary from financial collapse. And the seminary honored at him and his death. But as they looked back on the legacy, they knew something was not right with, with what they had done and what he had done. I think Joseph Brown overlooked justice and mercy and faithfulness. Too many people who name the name of Jesus get so focused on the outward and minor things that they don't focus on the major things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You see, we can speculate on when Christ will return. We can split hairs and arguments over free will and predestination and not love God and not serve people in Jesus' name like we should. You can be a faithful church member. And we've all known people like this. You know, I, I knew a lot of people growing up in Oklahoma, faithful church members, but they were unfaithful to Jesus because they didn't treat people well. In fact, they treated some of them horribly. If we don't care about others and treat others with, with mercy and justice and, and love others as Jesus has loved us, 
then we're majoring on the minors. Don't live majoring on the minors. There's a fifth warning here. Don't live inwardly corrupt while appearing outwardly uh, clean and healthy. Now Jesus warned them about having our outward life appear clean and beautiful, but inwardly being dirty. He said the outside of the cup is clean, but inside it's filled with corruption. Have you ever picked up a drink that you thought was okay, a cup that looked clean, and then drank something and you looked in that cup and there were things swimming in it? Have you ever, you know? Uh, It looks clean on the outside, but inwardly it's filled with corruption. The outside's beautiful. It's like a beautiful graveyard. Anybody but me like to go to cemeteries? I like to go to cemeteries and read, you know, uh, the captions on people's uh, uh, headstones and things like that. Just, I don't know what it is about me. I'm a weird person, I guess. But uh, I just find that fascinating. But, you, but the truth is, a cemetery is a place of death, isn't it? My dad used to say, how many dead people are buried in that cemetery? And then he'd say, all of them. That's a bad old joke, whatever. But anyway, it's full of dead people, right? The outside's beautiful. The cemetery is a beautiful place. You can appear, it appears wonderful, but actually it's a place of death. See, you can appear outwardly righteous to others, but on the inside, it has nothing to do with how you really look on the outside. You're simply acting the part of knowing Jesus and following Him, but you're, but you're living for yourself. Anyone who's been a believer for a long time know people who really did not believe and follow Jesus, but they were at church every week. They hid among God's people. Now, it's not as common today. It used to be culturally kind of okay for people to go to... It, it wasn't culturally okay for, for people, especially in certain parts of the country, to, uh, to not be a part of a church and then conduct... It used to be good for business. Now, today, nobody cares, basically. Nobody cares. It's not as much of a problem today. But there are people still that hide themselves among God's people. They act the part. They act like they're strong. They act like they're, they're living for the Lord. But they're not. You know, you know something about believers that ought to be true? We must not be afraid to share struggles and temptations and failures. We must not be afraid to share struggles and temptations and failures. You see, it's only when we share those things, when we let other people in on our struggles, when we let other people know that we're not perfect Christians, it's only that we can grow. The Apostle Paul told us this when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, we don't have to act like we all have, we have it all together because every, I, everyone knows none of us have it all together, right? We can share our struggles and we should share our struggles. And we should be transparent. You know, I want to be transparent as your pastor. I don't want you to think I got all this living for Jesus figured out every day because I don't. Sometimes I mess up deluxe. Sometimes, 
you know, I don't treat people like I should. And I think the wrong things and I do the wrong things. And I hope that, I hope I set an example of transparency so that you can share your struggles with other believers so that together we can help each other overcome the things that sometimes we trip on. Don't live inwardly corrupt while outwardly appearing clean. There's the sixth warning. Then this is kind of the last woe of this passage. Don't live deceiving yourselves about your true spiritual condition. Now this is a powerful last warning. The scribes and Pharisees, they looked back on their ancestors and said, if they lived back in those days where their ancestors lived, they would not have murdered the prophets like their forefathers had done. They wouldn't have done that. Jesus, you see, they thought they were on the side of the prophets. Jesus said, actually, these guys would be on the side of those who killed the prophets. Uh Jesus said this was a just witness against themselves that they were sons of those who murdered the prophets. In fact, even at that time, these scribes and Pharisees were plotting the death of Jesus. Jesus calls them serpents and brood of vipers. And he asked the very pointed question, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Wow. Everything their ancestors were guilty of, they were just as guilty of it, in fact, more guilty of. So that Jesus said, on that generation of leaders, all the righteous blood from Abel to Zechariah would come upon it. Now, Abel was the first person killed in the, in the Old Testament. And the way that the, uh, that, the, that the Old Testament was arranged in their day, Second Chronicles was the last book. And the last person killed was Zechariah. Who, who was killed between the, the altar, you know, e- even in fact in the temple. And so Jesus said all the blood of every, of all these generations will be on this generation. Uh, these leaders themselves considered themselves superior to their ancestors, but they were filled with hatred, especially toward Jesus. They were filled with pride. They deceived themselves about their true spiritual condition. You know, it's, it's my experience that sometimes we think also we're morally superior to those who came before us. We say, we wouldn't own slaves. We wouldn't condone slavery. We say, we, we would stand with Martin Luther King for civil rights. You know, we wouldn't close our borders to Jewish refugees that were trying to escape Hitler's concentration camps like our, like our country did right before World War II. We would not put Japanese Americans in in internment camps and confiscate their property. We wouldn't be deceived by a demagogue like Joseph McCarthy. We look back and we think we're better than those who came before us. But the truth of the matter is we got to be careful. Because we have things in our lives that are kind of the same things sometimes. We can fool ourselves. And not understand that we are all broken, we are all sinners, we all need to repent. You see, today there's one of the greatest refugees crisis in history. In Syria and Venezuela. And you know, we've actually lessened the number of refugees who can enter the United States. And we make that crisis worse. We look with prejudice and suspicion on others who are not like us. You know, just got back from visiting with my son and his wife and my daughter and and her husband and granddaughters. They have a neighbor, and his name, uh, he's from India. 
and Nate and Robin have done what they can to befriend him. They've invited him over. You know, they've they've done a lot of things to befriend um, this uh, this uh, man. You know something they told my son? They've been in the United States for many, many years. They said that my son and daughter-in-law and my daughter and son-in-law, they were the only non-Indian friends that they had. You see, we focus on building barriers between ourselves. We're afraid of people who are different than us. We want to keep ourselves safe. But that's not the way of Jesus, is it? You see, we can close our eyes to modern day. You know, we, we worry about crime and we build bigger and bigger prisons instead of trying to find better ways to help people like partnering with prison fellowships for better solutions. It's not really working just to keep sending people more and more and more into our prison system. You see, we've got to be careful. We can deceive ourselves about our true spiritual condition. And we can get caught up in, in what others say and do and not realize how harmful that can be. Don't live deceiving yourselves about your true spiritual condition. Finally, there's one final warning that Jesus gives us today, and that's this. Don't live continually rejecting God's call to enter His love and mercy. It's a hard sermon that Jesus has delivered, isn't it? And that's the reason I didn't want to preach it during the Christmas season, and why I skipped a few weeks and came back to it. But you know, His clothes shows us something about the way Jesus preached it. I don't think Jesus delivered it like an angry prophet or some street corner preacher shouting at people to repent. He delivered it with compassion because look how it closes. Look how it closes. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under wings and you were not willing There's a longing in Jesus' voice. There's a crying out. I wanted to gather you as a a hen would gather its chicks when there was danger. Jesus, with a longing heart, he wants to gather them and protect them. That's what he wants. That's what he desired. But the sad thing was they were not willing. They did not desire. They did not desire. They didn't desire God's love and fellowship. They rejected Jesus' call and His invitation. Again and again, Jesus issued this invitation. And again and again, it was rejected. You know, my prayer for all of us is that none of us would do that. That when we hear the invitation, the love, God inviting us to Himself, we run to Him instead of run from Him. Don't neglect the invitation of God to come under His care and provision. And protection. Don't reject his warnings by wanting the applause of men more than we care about what he thinks of us, more than we care about loving him. Don't neglect his warning by by not entering the kingdom or hindering others from entering the kingdom. Don't live a life of deception or major on the minors or act before others like you are fine and okay when you when you know you're messed up in many ways. Don't live deceiving yourselves about your true spiritual condition. 
Don't live continually rejecting God's call to enter His love and mercy. Don't live for the applause and praise of men, but for the glory and the praise of God. Our Father, we, we don't want to deceive. I don't want to deceive myself, Lord. Sometimes I know I'm hypocritical and I know I'm judgmental. And I know that I don't see others the way they see you. And sometimes, Lord, I go through the motions of following you instead of loving you like I should. And I ask you to forgive me and ask you to forgive us. Help us, Father, to be genuine in our love for you. Help us to, to know we don't love you like we should, but to know we love you and, we, and help us to love you more. Help us, Lord, to love others. And, and to see people as they are, as, as fellow sinners who need a Savior. Fellow people who are struggling in many areas of their life, just like we do. And who need us to stand with them and love them in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that anyone's here today, they never put their trust in you. They've never given their life to you. Lord, they're trying to please you by their performance. They're trying to please you by religious rituals. They're trying to please you by uh, how well they treat others. or they're, they're thinking that you're looking at all that stuff, Lord, and they don't understand that, that you look on them with love and you want to forgive and you want to help them and you want to receive them just like they are so that you can make them all that you want them to be. I pray that they respond to you and believe in you. I pray that they confess you as Savior and Lord and live for you. I ask you to work and move and do what only you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.